Good morning. As, our, as we continue through uh, our churchwide focus on authentic faith the next several weeks, I want to take just a couple minutes again to make sure that everybody knows what that is. I also wanted to thank anyone who sat through my sermon last Sunday. Thank you for being so patient with me and enduring my staggering and whatever else you might have had to endure. Uh, um, I, I'm very thankful to be feeling better today, but I, I heard several people actually heard what God was trying to say that morning, and I'm very thankful for that. So thank you for your patience in that. But just in case you weren't here, I want to make sure that everybody knows where this is going and uh, where we're going to be going together for the next couple weeks. So here we go. First thing, authentic simply means real or genuine. Um, if you're following along in your... Um, in your bulletin insert, if any of you note taker people, you could write that down right now. Authentic means real, genuine. Um, when it comes to faith, however, here's what that specifically means. Um, we've got to make sure that our faith is, is in something that is real. And of course, God himself is real. His word is real. But it's also important that we make sure we understand it correctly. It's important that we get it that we're not, we don't have a false belief about God or a false expectation of him or what he expects from us. The second thing that authentic faith means is that we have to actually live by it. And, and that's something we spent a lot of time on last Sunday, so I won't spend much time on it today. But I'll go ahead and get, th this is the logo for that you're seeing. This is, this is a series, and it's called On the Rock. And what this is about, these, these eight weeks, this is where we're going here is this. Jesus used action verbs. His dream was never so much that we just thought things about him or believed things about him, but that we actually built our life on his teachings. Step by step, choice by choice, we actually live by them. At every juncture in our lives, daily and especially the great big ones. He always, he did this consistently. Um, even uh, passages that sound like he's just talking about thinking things like John 14, 6, where he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. What do you do with a way? This is where you can talk. What do you do with a way? Do you just think about it? You go, okay, yeah, that's the way. You follow it. You take it. You want to get somewhere, you take the way. I am the truth. You don't just believe the truth. You actually follow it. The life. You try to seek that force of life. And even at the end of that verse, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He's telling us that he is the way and the truth and the life. Of course, he wants us to believe that. But the point is that we will believe it enough that we'll actually come to the Father. And that we'll realize that he is the only way to the Father, and then we will act on that. That's what authentic faith is all about. And there are so many things about churches, there are so many things about the way we all want church to look, and smell, and sound like, and feel like, that are buried. There's a lot of taste in there. But part of the heart of what we're doing, actually the very heart of what we're talking about these next couple weeks, is simply this. I think it's really important that we evaluate our church, that every church that cares at all needs to evaluate themselves, not by what we want, but by what Jesus has actually said. 
I want to make sure that we're, we're measuring ourselves against any measuring sticks that he gives us. That he doesn't just give Morrison Hill, that he gives every single church that there is. That anything that Jesus says, this is what it means to be a disciple, that we get it. We understand it correctly and we act on it. And that anything that Jesus himself and his earliest followers did and were devoted to, that we are also just that devoted to. And so we are building together on the rock. And today we're taking the second section of the passage we're about to read together out loud, where Jesus says, make disciples. Would you read this with me? This is the Great Commission, Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. Go ahead and read this out loud with me, if you would. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. It's actually my dad's birthday today. So if you see my dad, you might want to like high five him or give him a hug or at least say happy birthday. That would be cool. I think almost everybody in the congregation knows that I grew up in Papua New Guinea because my parents took this very literally, this idea of going into all the world and making disciples of all nations. And uh, we, we, I grew up in Papua New Guinea. But before that, he was a minister at a little church in Falls Mills, Virginia. And um, even before that, even before I was born, he was in another small church. But straight out of Johnson, him and mom got right into it. And this church in Falls Mills, Virginia, he got sent there after it was, um, they'd been through some really hard times. In the last couple of years before he got there, the church had actually split twice and they'd had all kinds of other problems. So he went in there knowing this was going to be rough for a while. It's going to be a rough season. He had his eyes wide open. They were praying very, very hard. But as, they, as he was working with them and as he was dealing with them, he started to see some patterns. And one morning he knew th- th- this was the moment to start making one big, big change. So this was actually his quote. I actually got these from my dad. Make sure I got this right. This is, this is how he opened up one of his sermons. Imagine a young, uh, 20, very young 20s guy. And this is what he said. Why are so many of you telling your kids that Bible reading is not important? Why are so many of you telling your children that church attendance is not important anymore? Why are so many of you telling them that giving to God is not important? As you might guess, there was some shocked silence for a moment. You know, like when Jesus said that somebody was going to betray him during the Last Supper, there's that quiet. And then the very next thing, everybody starts going, surely not I, Lord. And that's exactly what happened. Everybody's like, what in the world? And then the second thing was, I never told my kids that. Who Tell your kids that. That's just crazy. Why would you ever say that? But then he pointed out the truth that I'm really trying to share with you this morning. And I think, I, I hope you get this. And that's this. All of us, not just children, but especially children, we learn primarily by example. And the people in his congregation had been teaching, not with words, but far more effectively than they ever could with words. They had been teaching their children pretty consistently that reading the Bible on their own was not a big deal. 
that's showing up at church on a regular basis and making sure that you are being discipled and you are forming your core relationships with other Christians. It's, it's a good idea whenever you can work it in, but that's it. That giving to God is something you do kind of on the side whenever you can, if you feel like you can afford it. You make sure you do all that other stuff you really want to do. And if you can, God would appreciate throwing in a 20 once in a while. Even though, even though they would never say that, they would never out loud admit that they believed that, they acted that way. And that's what was teaching their children. All of us, to be a disciple, you need to understand two things. We follow and we lead. That's what it looks like. And, and this works in a lot of different ways. You, you just watch even some kids playing follow the leader. This is how it works. You're always behind somebody and you're always in front of somebody. And that's just the way life works. And it's certainly the way discipleship works. Discipleship means to follow God. But that all of us learn primarily by watching and by doing over time. I'm going to say that again because it's really important. I want you to get this. Most of us learn. There's all these different kinds of learners. There's auditory learners, visual learners. All of us have our favorite way. But all of us, every kind of learner there is, primarily learns by watching and by doing over time. Our example is the biggest thing that has to change if we want any other kind of change to happen. A few weeks ago, we were, a bunch of us were in Haiti. Uh, we were working with a whole bunch of orphan kids in a really cool organization called World Orphans. Uh, these were some of the kids. Notice they're playing with a, about a $600 camera there of my son Noah's. His primary job on the trip was to document the whole thing, so we always had a camera with him. And it was really cool because not only was he actually getting that job done, but he was able to, to use that camera as a connection point and actually work with the kids and he had a whole bunch of buddies. Uh, Billy, actually, I, I haven't seen this picture yet, but I saw him taking it. I can't wait to see it. But it took him like forever to get Noah into the picture when he was trying to take it because there were so many kids around him at that spot. But here's the thing. He actually taught some of these kids how to use this really cool camera in just a couple of, uh, a couple of times working with them. And what's, what's really crazy about that is there was a language barrier there. There was no way we could use words. That was one of the most frustrating things about the whole trip. We could not tell them, do this, do that. All we had, all we had was watching and doing over time. But one of the things that did make it a little bit easier is they all had seen cell phones before. You can see here's another one of the cameras that we had along with us. In fact, one of the only words that they actually knew in English was phone. And a lot of them actually knew picture. And so we all heard that quite a bit, but especially Noah. And they, here's the thing. They were able to build on what they already knew about how phone cameras work. They already knew the basic idea of framing. They knew what the little square was about in the picture. They just needed to know which button to press. They were able to build on what they'd already learned, what they'd already done. They just needed to watch and do just a little bit more. And here's these kids that had never seen a camera like that, able to work it probably better than I do because I haven't actually spent that much time with Noah's camera. I hope that makes sense. 
And this is exactly the kind of imagery that God uses all throughout his word. Old Testament, New Testament. We, we love, for whatever reason, I guess we're just Americans, but we love to make it intellectual. We love to think that it's all thinking, but it's really not. He uses these action ideas to describe his relationship with us and what he expects with us all the time. Even this verse, which I've challenged everyone to learn over the course of these couple weeks, if you haven't already, but Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. And again, I learned this as a child in, in uh, King James. It sounds really cool in that version. Uh, you can learn it in any version you want to learn it in, but we're going to say it this way today just because it's simple, it's easy. I think everyone can say it and understand it, but I would love for you to learn it in any version you have and just be able to rattle this off in the next couple of weeks. Let's say it together. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. Notice those action verbs. If you're missing, here's all I, ha all I can say about this today because we're really getting ready to dig into some really specific stuff. And I know there's a lot of variety. I know everybody's personal relationship with God is a little bit different. What we, all, what we all mean when we say things like, I heard from God today, or God is telling me, or I feel like God is leading me, we all mean just slightly different things. There's a lot of variety. Even within the Bible, you see how he interacted with different men and different women throughout time. There's some variety. I get this. But li listen, this is something that's consistent. Please don't miss this. If you're not hearing from God not just talking at him, but you're not hearing from him. You're not being led by God. You're not actually following him, as in in some way, some pattern of the way you live your life. You're looking to him for guidance daily, you, and you're getting something back. You're missing something really, really important. And something's got to change. You're not actually following him. I'm not talking about whether you end up in heaven or hell right now, but this idea of following Jesus, it's an action verb, and you're missing something really important if you're not actually following him. We all learn primarily by watching and doing over time. So I'm just going to throw out a couple of questions here, and I, I, I just like it. This is not a guilt trip, and if you've got a really great answer for three or four of these, it's not a false sense of righteousness either. I just These are good questions that I ask myself all the time, and I'd like you to ask yourself this morning. Just be honest. Just be real. Let God tell you if you need to do anything differently. I don't know. I'm just going to ask these questions. How are you building your life on Jesus' teachings? Again, action. What are you actually doing to, in a systematic way, to make a choice based on something Jesus said and then make another one based on not only what he said but what you just did and experienced in the little bit more extra faith you just got from that and make another one and another one. What are you doing to make sure that your life is getting built on the actual words of Jesus? The people that follow you, the people that look to you, the people that you're leading, whether you realize you're leading them or not, whether you want to lead them or not, but the people that hang around you, where are they going to end up? Where are you taking them? What are they getting from your example? When they watch how you live, what are they learning? When you, they watch and do alongside you, beside you, or right behind you, 
What are you teaching them? Your children? Your peers? How are you teaching them to seek his will in everything? Are you? Are you teaching him this? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge the Lord in all of your ways. Are you, are you doing that? Are they seeing that or are they seeing something else? And how is he showing you which paths to take? In the last couple weeks, in the last couple months, how, how has God directed you? What are you doing right now? That you, The only reason you're doing it is because you know this was God. This is something you can expect as a Christian. It's going to look a little bit different for each one of us. Some of us might describe it in completely different ways, but you can expect that God will lead you if you ask him to. That's why he commands you to seek him and why he says he will show you which path to take. I want to speak especially for a few moments to the parents of glow kids. And this goes for all of us because, again, all human beings, all of us, we learn best by watching and doing. But this is especially true for children. And please listen to me on this. I actually know what I'm talking about. I've actually studied this a lot, and this is real. Any of you who are early early childhood educators of anything, I know you'll be going, yep, 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 I know, you, I know what I'm talking about here. But children's brains actually aren't capable of understanding abstract thoughts the way adults' brains are. They just physically can't do that until they hit about puberty and a few other things have to happen. It just, it, they don't get it. They only learn concretely. All of us do that primarily, but children only do that concretely. So I'm especially talking to you guys who have kids in GLOW. And also, something we try not to do much here, but, but I just want to make sure you understand this. GLOW is not some weird, like, insider lingo we're trying to, like, make you feel outside of. We're trying to be inclusive with that, so I apologize if that doesn't work. But here's what GLOW means, okay? It means the fifth grade and younger kids in our church. That's, that's who GLOW is. If you're a GLOW parent, you've got kids in fifth grade or younger, all the way down to babies. And here's what it stands for. It stands for Go Light Our World. That was another one of Jesus' commands. That's what we're supposed to do. And also the word itself, glow, means shine. It means light the world. So that's what we named our kids' group several years ago. But that's what the glow kids are. But I'm just going to use that term now and keep on going. If you are a parent of a glow kid... I think it's really important that you um, understand that about them. And um, I want you to know that there is something that Adrian gives every single week. No, go back to that first one. That was, that was it. Every single week, she hands out these handouts. So if you've, got, if you've got kids, they're coming home with this in one way or another. These are summaries of what they've been learning here. These help them keep track of the things maybe they missed if they weren't here the week before. These are things that have some extra stuff. They make it really easy for parents to actually talk to their kids about God. Not only just about God in general, but about the specific things that they are learning here. The second one is a zoom in. This is, this is an awesome thing. This is a daily Bible study guide. They get this every single time. If you haven't picked up on this yet, I really challenge you to check that out today. I'd like you to be able to see this. But I also want every one of you to know, today, because of technology, because of a lot of other things that we do, even our church, we also subscribe to a thing called Right Now Media. It's like a Netflix thing for Christians. But we pay for it, so you get it free. Just go to our website, 
put in the, 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 the password that we give you there. It's absolutely free. Just about anything that's good at all for kids, if, Christian kids, is on that for free. You can watch it. You watch it on your tablet, watch it on your phone, watch it on your computer, put it on your TV, some of you. It, it, it's, it's pretty powerful stuff. But this kind of stuff is for everybody today. All of us can pick up a cell phone and read every version of the Bible there is in English and a bunch of them in other languages if you speak those. It's easier than ever before to daily reach into God's word and to seek his will. The problem is it's also just that easy to find porn and every other kind of diabolical lie and distortion that you can find. And your kids are being aggressively pursued with that stuff. As a parent of a glow kid, this goes for everybody again, but I'm telling you, you have got to get aggressive and make sure that they are getting the good stuff. You've got to. And if you're not leading them by example, they're going to miss it completely because they literally cannot understand just an abstract idea. You should read good stuff. You should watch good stuff. That doesn't make any sense to them. They get, do this, watch this. Last week, I had a quote from Charles G. Finney. I want to share that again, and another quote from John Maxwell, and we're going to move on and really hit the, the last things in these last moments together. So I hope you guys are still getting this. I hope you're still paying attention. This is, we're going to move fast now. Charles G. Finney says this, God alone can save the world, but God and saints unite for the task. The response of God is invariably in proportion to our desire and effort. And like I said last week, this is, this is not something I understand about God, but it's categorically true about him. He always partners with human beings. Always. And he responds based on how we respond. We just need to know that's how it works. Here's something that John Maxwell says about leadership. John Maxwell, if you don't read much of his stuff, you should. Uh, just about anybody who knows anything about leadership either reads John Maxwell's stuff or quoted, it's quotes people who quote him. Like, it's, he's, he's really one of, a respected person. Here's a very simple quote from him today. You'll hear more from him in the future. But he says this, Leadership is not about titles, positions, or flowcharts. It is about one life influencing another. If you're following along with your little uh, thing here, we're about halfway down the page now, and we're about to, like I said, move faster. But so far, authentic means real and genuine. Disciples follow and lead by example. Leadership is about one life influencing another. There's a lot of particulars. There's a lot of specific ways, some specific and very effective ways to disciple people. But the bottom line now, I hope you realize, it's just one life influencing another and doing that on purpose. Doing that intentionally, trying to, trying to lead them closer to God. But here's what the, the command actually was. Go into all the world and make disciples of all the nations. It's important that we also understand what all the nations means. All the nations literally does mean all the distinct people groups in the world. Most of what we call nations didn't even exist in the time of Jesus. When the New Testament was written, there wasn't a United States of America. There wasn't Australia. There wasn't, most of the little countries in Russia right now weren't there a couple years ago even. Like everything keeps rearranging around this planet all the time. 
That's not what it means. It's not talking about governments. It's not talking about legal entities of people in, in, in specific spots. It's talking about very distinct groups of people. Jesus wants disciples in every single one of them. I sing about glow parents for a second, but I just want you to realize every one of you is part of a very distinct group of people, and some of you are in some groups that I can't be in or that some of the people sitting next to you can't be in. Maybe it's your job. I think it is to reach them for Christ. Just in general, let me say this. Teens primarily influence other teens, but they also can have a huge impact for preteens and children. If you're a teenager... You could easily disciple someone your age or younger. You can also have a pretty profound effect on people older than you. Everyone, everyone can influence their peers. Families especially affect each other whether they like it or not. I think everybody knows that. We are all primarily to influence each other through relationships. That's how God set it up, and that's what works best. Uh, if you've got a desire and you're willing to make an effort, you're willing to actually try to disciple someone even more than that, there's some opportunities I'm going to tell you about in just a second. But I want you to know, every single one of you, if you're following Jesus, you have to be not only following him, but helping someone else follow him. And you are doing that. The only question is if you're doing a good job or not. If you're doing it authentically or not. If where you're leading them is actually where Jesus is trying to lead you and them. That's the only real, real question. I, I, I just picked a couple of ministries the church has this morning. I'm going to throw these out. This is not any kind of a priority list. It's just kind of like a buckshot shot. I'm just going to point out. These are some ways we disciple. The, again, this is, the, I'm not, if I, I've left out almost all of them. I'm just picking a few. But please bear with me. I just want to give you, this is the kind of thing that we also do. If any of these interest you or you'd like to know more, talk to my dad. He is the discipleship minister and he'll hook you up with things. But we have a benevolence ministry. Joni McKinney primarily does that, um, but she sees that much more than just like a way to help people physically. She sees that as what she says, I'm using her words, it's a privilege. It's a way to bring them into God's presence. She does that well. And you probably have some very specific responsibility in your life that you could see as a privilege and bring them into God's presence as well. We have a needle arts group that has people that aren't even Christians. Some of them don't even speak English as a second language, but they like needlework, and they get together, and they're building relationships. They have an impact. We have a men's work group that met yesterday and worked. We had a bunch of ladies that got together. They do stuff all the time. They're going to go um, out to eat this coming Tuesday. Yesterday, a bunch of them got together and made tamales. It, it, it's a pretty, it, there, there's stuff there. We've got Z4G. That's our youth group. Stands for Zealous for God. That's everybody older than fifth grade. We do stuff. Glow, I'd already talked about them. We have tonight, anybody in sixth grade or older, or if you want to bring your family, we've got a thing at Z4G down the hill called Discipleship Groups. And that's where we worship together. We work through some stuff, and then we break into some smaller groups to really unpack it. And I would love to invite literally all of you to come to that tonight. Try that out. We've got some life groups. Uh, Sticky Faith is one that's rebooting on September 4th. It's for Christian parents that just really want to do a better job as Christian parents. I lead that one. But we're going to wrap up together with, with just a very short story. You've probably heard this one. I'm going to go through it one verse at a time, just four verses. 
But it, this simple little story from the life of Jesus and one of his disciples perfectly illustrates everything I'm trying to tell you today. And I'd like it to stick in your head, like to stick in your heart, and I want it to affect your life. We're going to look at Matthew, beginning with Matthew chapter 9, verse 9. And I, and I want you to see what's going on here. This is the call of Matthew. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. Notice Jesus did not say, Matthew, I'd like you to consider the idea that I might actually be the Messiah of the Jews. He said, come and follow me. And Matthew responded with immediate action. He got up. He left his table. He left his money. He left his supervisors and the people that hated him and were yelling at him. And he left everything and he followed Jesus. This is what it looks like. When Jesus says, follow me, he, said, he means follow me. Matthew 9, 10. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. Notice what's going on the very first night. He's not just following Jesus. He's bringing people with him. And their lives are being affected by being around Jesus and by being around the all-new, improved Matthew. Matthew 9, 11. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? This is just a heads up. When you really start following Jesus, like really following Jesus, not just wearing a t-shirt that says, I am a follower of Jesus. When you really start following him, you're going to face opposition. The devil hates it. Non-Christians hate it. A lot of other Christians even hate it. You're going to be criticized. You're going to be, you're, but you know what? Who cares? Do you care what other people think or do you care what Jesus thinks? Now, I'm telling you what Jesus thinks. He wants you to follow him. Matthew 9, 12. When Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. That's not just some profound little statement. It's not some sarcastic thing. He's saying, you know what? I am making disciples I am reaching people that haven't been reached yet, and I am leading them to my Father. This is what I do. This is what I want you to do. This is what Matthew is doing right this minute. If you've never chosen to follow Jesus in the first place, we invite you this morning to come and do that. If you ha would like to follow him alongside of us and be part of any of the, our big community or any of these smaller communities we've been talking about where we're all trying to disciple each other and lead each other closer and closer to Christ, I'd love for you to join our church this morning. If there's anything else that you'd like prayer for or whatever, the elders will lead you in prayer after the prayer time that comes up in a moment. But would you stand, would you sing, and would every single one of you please make this commitment to God? Whatever God's been telling you this morning, I want you with the words you sing now to say, God, I will do that. If you want to write it down, write it down. But I want you with this prayer, we're going to sing together. I want you to tell him, yes, 
I will do that thing you said I want, I'm supposed to do.